From Wall Street to Main Street, there are stories to be told. Where knowledge learned on the street is as powerful as knowledge learned on the streets. This is the Financial Recon Podcast, where we introduce you to the people, places, and things that have helped shape our environment and will help shape yours. Welcome to the conversation. Ah, tis the season for taxes. On this episode of Financial Recon, I'm thrilled to be joined by the one and only tax girl, Kelly Phillips-Herb, where we dive into everything and anything tax-related. All right, Kelly, I, I feel like, you know, when I say tax girl, I should have like a a cool Batman theme going here. Or something. That would be like awesome. This. Yeah, it would be. It'd be really cool. Uh, we'll have to get, we'll get somebody to come up with that. Um, thanks cool. a lot for joining me today. You know, taxes are obviously on everybody's mind right now. It's the season of panic and, um, mm-hmm. you know, 2022 is here. What are the changes people need to be aware of? So, you know, what's really interesting is that there aren't a lot of them. And I think that that is actually confusing for people because we've been talking about all these potential changes for so long that didn't happen. Right. So I I spent six months reporting and writing and listening to people talk about what might be changing and it didn't change. Um, That was actually one of the concerns was that there might be a lot of a flurry of changes (laughs) in December that would be retroactive you know, for 2021 and and people would be uh, even more confused. So, um, you know, Oddly, some of the changes are that things are back to normal. I'm making air quotes, and I know that's uh, we're on the podcast, but you know, normal. Um, (laughs) In that tax season's opening in January, uh, which is the way it's always been, except for last year. Um, So far, they say no uh, additional extension. So it looks like tax day may actually be in April, which would be a change from the last two years. So those things are back to normal. Um, But then in terms of changes, like, The law, the big one, I think that maybe everybody's talking about is the additional uh, with the expansion of the additional child tax credit um, and the advanced uh, child tax credit. Um, So what that is, is which people may know, is that we've always had a child tax credit. And I should emphasize because we were having a discussion yesterday, the number of emails that I've gotten because of the legislation that I just mentioned that didn't go through in the end of December. That would have kept the expanded child tax credit. And a lot of folks have confused that not being passed with the idea that the actual child tax credit has disappeared. And that's not true. It's just gone back to 2000, right? The same, right. The same as before. And it won't be in advance. Mm -hmm. So so really what um, I think people need to be aware of for um, for this tax season is that that money that came last year, um, either in the form of a check or direct deposit, um, that was the advanced child tax credit, the expanded Mm -hmm. advanced tax credit, um, will be reported on your return. It'll be reconciled. And then if you're entitled to any overage, you'll get that as a refund. And if you've uh, received too much, then you'll have to repay it. Um, that amount, that child tax credit amount was calculated based on your last filed return, which for most people would have been 2020, but could have been 2019. 
Um, and you know, a lot of people had stuff that changed since that time into 2021. So, you know, maybe you had a kid that left, maybe you have a kid that, you know, you have new kids, um, maybe you change jobs. Um, there's a lot that could have happened. So I think that in terms of what people are worried about, like what's going to change the most in the tax season that that might catch them by surprise is how that those payments and how that credit impacts their bottom line. Because IRS kind of sold it and Congress kind of sold it on the idea that nothing was going to change. Like, you know, for most taxpayers, um, but that's not really what we're hearing. And um, I think the other thing kind of in tandem with that, that's confusing for people is the IRS is putting out these, these letters, these uh, letters that are intended to tell you how much you received um, on your, uh, in, in again, either as a check or an advance payment um, in your direct debit in your bank account. And uh, those letters so far, if you believe Twitter, and I have received one myself, they're not correct. So I think that that's going to complicate. Oh, I'm going to have to look at mine again, because I got mine and oh my I, gosh. I, I just was doing the math and it didn't seem right. I think IRS sent out a lot that was like a, um, a, uh, a, like a round amount because mm-hmm. there was a discussion on Twitter and somebody posted a conversation that they had with an agent. They too, because we got one that said we got a thousand dollars even. We didn't get anywhere near a thousand dollars, just to be clear. <laughs> um, and uh, and I tried to opt out and still got it. My husband didn't opt out, but he got his by paper. I got mine by direct deposit. Like the whole thing was nuts. Um, and it it didn't add up. And you're we're seeing that on Twitter tax preparers are already reporting that taxpayers are saying, this is not what I got. Here's what's in my bank account. You know, I got three, three deposits of $130 and they're saying I got a thousand kind of thing. So I think that's going to be. So, 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 you know, like, well, some people may know this if they have the health, um, the health exchange, uh, the ACA, like there is, there was um, a cap, I believe, in 2019 or 2020 like you wouldn't have to repay if you over so much and then 2020 they got rid of it and said you were okay because of covid do you see something coming in retroactive to fix something like this or their caps so like people aren't going to get slammed i think that's a great idea in theory, because, you know, that's what they did for stimulus checks, right? They're right. like, okay, if you got the wrong amount and you need more, we'll give you more. But if you got the wrong amount and you need to pay it back, you're good. Like, we're not going to ask you to. And that was written into the legislation. So on the stimulus checks, it was done for efficiency because they had to get it out so quickly. So they gave you the mm-hmm. amount that they thought you deserved. If you deserved more, you could get it. If you if you had to pay it back, they said, nope, you're forgiven. Don't worry about it, right? Okay. In theory... That's a good idea for this uh, child tax credit. I don't think there's appetite for it in Congress. Um, I, I don't think the IRS has the power to just wipe that because right, it's an actual right. stat, you know, it's a statute. Um, I don't think there is the appetite for it because when you listen to the discussions um, about why they don't want to renew it, there's a lot of concern about what people are using their money for, even though studies show that they're using their money for food. Um, mm-hmm. but, but there's a suggestion that people are wasting, wasting this money. Um, and that people are taking advantage of the system. Um, that, you know, that's been in some of the discussions that we're hearing out of Congress. I don't see them saying, you know what, 
if you got too much, just keep it. Or I, I just, you know, there, there are in the statute, I should clarify that in the statute, there are some safe harbors that are written into the statute. So if you, if you got too much, but your income is at a certain level, you don't have to repay it. Okay. Um, so there is a safe harbor. Um, but in terms of everyday normal middle class taxpayers who, a lot of whom received these checks, um, and probably got too much just because, of the way that the program rolled out, the fact that you the opt out didn't work the way maybe it should. You know, there were a lot of difficulties. I, I think that's going to be problematic. I think if the if Congress expanded the safe harbor for lower income people, um, there might be some appetite to go along with that. But I think I, I don't think those are the people who are going to complain. I think the people who are going to complain are people who probably made too much money for the amount of credit that they got right. um, and didn't expect it. And, you know, IRS kept saying things like change your withholding or check with someone during the year, <laughs> but who's doing that in the pandemic? And even who's doing that not in a pandemic? Like the, it's, it's not an expected thing. And it's also temporary. And I think that that's what's really frustrating for taxpayers is if you knew that this was going to be a permanent change, then yeah, maybe you call up your CPA and you're like, hey, I probably need to change my withholding. How do I fix this? Right. It was for one year. It was actually for less than well, one year. I'm thinking for the CPA too, mm-hmm. right? Like, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we see it on Twitter all the time. Everybody's talking about being burned out and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like you add another layer of complexity to try to hit a moving target. I'll be really interested to see how this all kind of evolves. Um, oh, I, I agree. I actually said this morning um, we were having a, a discussion in the newsroom about, you know, what's coming up and what we should be looking for. I think this is going to be the top story of the year, the child tax credit, uh, uh, ta- the top story of the ta- tax filing season year. I mean, yeah. it's a tax season, but tax professionals, we kind of think of it as the year, right? right, right. I think it's going to be the top story. I think it's how individuals react to this, how the IRS manages it, whether it contributes to their backlog because they're going to have to review returns that maybe where these, you know, these letters aren't adding up to the amounts and then so the records aren't going to match. Um, And then you put that on top of what you just mentioned, you know, so many preparers already feeling burned out and they don't know how to deal with this because think about this, like, you know, as a tax preparer, if I walk into your office and I say, Here's my 6419. It says I got a thousand dollars. I'm telling you right now, I got 340. How are we going to handle this? Um, you know, what does the preparer do? Typically, as the preparer, you know, and I've prepared returns <laughs> for years, you have a discussion about how we need there's a forms match, matching process and we need to reconcile this. And sure, we can annotate it on the return, but where's the proof? Right. Um, I think that's going to be really difficult. Uh, for people to have to go back. And again, the um, even the dates, this is something that's come up um, when you go and look at the dashboard in the IRS website where you can check it online. The dates don't match up either. Um, so, you know, I just, I see this being a complicating factor in a year that is already coming off the complicated years. And again, ironically, outside of that, there's not a whole lot that's different, right? Like right. There, there aren't a whole lot of new laws that are only applicable to 2021. Um, so it should have, it should have been an easier year for taxpayers and preparers after what, 
has happened for the past two years, I don't think that's going to happen. Do you think we get an 11th hour change like in March when this starts bubbling to the top and they come out with like some guidance and then people are having to go back and do retro, uh, you know, corrected returns or they just, what was it like a year or two ago? They just said, stop, do this or. Uh, yeah. Know. Well, it happened with the unemployment last year, yeah, the unemployment okay, compensation when it was. Um, so, you know, that it was supposed to be, um, they, they passed a law that said that if you made up to, I forget what the number was, something like 150, um, then you could exclude the first 10,200 from your unemployment compensation for that year. Uh, and then w- what happened was the IRS kind of butted in and said, you know, you know, what? don't file an amended return if you've already done this, because then they were being inundated with paper returns because of the, the 1040Xs. So they're like, you know what, we'll fix it for you. So that's what they decided <laughs> to do to resolve it. But then there were all these people that were like, OK, if they're going to fix it for me, but I just filed an amended return, I'm never getting my refund. Um, and that's what happened actually uh, a lot of people still waiting um my return hasn't been processed from last year um we were doing a fafsa and uh i checked again and they've cashed my check but they haven't uh it's funny how that works right yeah yeah they're pretty quick to do that and we said and, and yes i actually did send in a paper check i know i get criticized on twitter for saying i write paper checks but um i like my paper trail we e-filed but paid paper check right. e-file return which is supposed to be faster not processed but uh paper check already in already in, how, how in, long did it take them to cash the check just curious oh gosh to be honest i don't know because i don't know that i paid that much attention what i can say is that i remember so we got a notice from our local tax authorities saying like you didn't file your return yeah. And I'm like, um, but we did. And I went and and looked and all of the checks had cleared. So the state, local and the federal. So I know that it cleared well over a month ago. We did file on extension. Um, it, I would say a month, maybe. I don't know. But it yeah, wasn't because, it wasn't know, six months. It wasn't the amount of time that people are waiting for refunds. Well, yeah, I, I, it kind of leads into what I was going to ask about the IRS. I mean, like. I've told clients and so forth, like the story about how many tractor trailers they have in Kansas city, just waiting to be like processed. And it's funny, right? Your check makes it through, but they can't make this through. Like what's going on with the IRS. I mean, is there any progress being made? So the the taxpayer advocate recently um, did their annual report. They just released it. And, uh, you know, they had their purple book with their recommendations for the year. And it's very interesting because, you know, we have a new advocate, I mean, new being relative, uh, you know, she's not brand new, but for so long we had Nina. Um, so now we have Erin Collins, who uh, so far, I will say, I think is doing a great job. Um, but she, so when she released her uh, report, you could tell that there was a, sensitivity to wanting to say we're so far behind but the irs is trying their best right so this Mm -hmm. is kind of what the report says and um actually my so my column that's out this week one of the things that i said in it I, i quoted from the report that when last tax season started so in 2021 they had still not finished processing millions of returns from 2019 so they started last year already with the backlog in the middle of a pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. So 
then it got worse because then you have all of these. So you had the, the RRC. So the, the, the basically the credit that um, was related to the stimulus checks. Um, you had that plus the unemployment compensation, uh, temporary changes plus people who took out money from retirement accounts, um, to, uh, for during COVID to pay right. bills. So, and that could be split in three, the repayment on that. Right. So you had all of this stuff that required a second look. So it got worse, the backlog. Um, so they're trying to walk, work through it, but you know, there's not a lot of process, progress being made. And, and you also have to remember, and I think this is, you know, I'm, I'm as big a critic as anybody about IRS, but I will say that, you know, Congress keeps giving them more stuff to do, right? Oh yeah. And, and part of the problem is um, for 2019 and 2020, when the backlog started getting worse um, is that when we introduced these, these features, these new um, COVID relief measures, like, the expansion of the child tax credit, which I know is not being couched as COVID relief, but it's one of the right. it's one of the reasons it's temporary, right. right? If it was a long if it was a long term plan to alleviate child poverty, it would have been permanent. It's right. it's it's because people are struggling in pandemic, um, and the stimulus checks. And one of the things that they said was to get these things, you have to file a return or sign up to be in the system with the non-filer tool, right? Like you have to be in our system, which totally makes sense. Like I get it. But what you're asking people to do is you're asking millions of taxpayers who normally don't have a filing obligation to now file returns. So the IRS, I think, anticipates getting 161 million mm -hmm. um, tax returns this year, individual tax returns. Just a couple of years ago, it was in the 140s, right? So the number has gone up. They're processing more returns in addition to sending out checks and, you know, whether it's stimulus checks or child uh, tax credit checks or what are these other things that they're, they're tasked with doing. So, you know, I, I do think that there are some failings. I think that there are measures that the IRS can take to make it better for taxpayers that they're not doing. Um, and they're being criticized for by a bunch of organizations, AICPA, NATP, um, lots of folks, and rightfully so. Um, but at the same time, they do have this enormous volume of returns oh, yeah. to plow through. It, it's nuts. I mean, I every time Congress makes a change, the tax, I mean, the, the preparers, the, I mean, it becomes a... Oh, a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I personally had an issue with something one time. I called the taxpayer advocate and then ended up, I had to go to my elected officials and file a congressional inquiry. And oh, wow. even, even then I didn't get a, a, a true response because the, you call the taxpayer advocates office and their m machine says, yeah, we'll get to it. When do we get to it? <laughs> oh yeah, I know. It's so it's I think with the advocate, you know, they're under they're under resourced as well. And yeah. um it, that goes back to the shutdown. So like at the beginning of 2019, um that was already a tough year and then we had covid the next year, right? So yeah. I think that there's so many taxpayers who were already struggling cuz I remember calling during the shutdown having to call the advocate because I had taxpayers who were being leaned and levy threats. Yeah. Um, and you couldn't get through because government shut down. And then when they started back up, this was not their priority. IRS, it was starting tax season, right? Because that was January. Um, and it's hard. And so the taxpayer advocate, you know, they were already at a disadvantage too. And now if you go to their website or if you call them, you do see what they will say. 
we're super, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but we're super busy, right? Like we might not be able to get to you. Um, and then they also are just very honest that there's certain things they can't help with right now. Well, it was just really funny because in my situation, the person from the representative's office was like, what, what was your thing? I said this. They said, okay. They went back. They came back and said, okay. And that it was like just fixed. And then I got the letter and it was all messed up. Anyway. <laughs> so I, I was like, whatever, I'll just go with this one. And yeah. run with it because you're tempting fate to go back multiple times. But, oh, I know. I know. And that's what's scary to people is that they yeah. don't want to make waves because they're worried if they ask too many questions, they might get audited. Right. Like, so that's the fear. Taxpayers it's, are already scared of IRS. It's just like, you know, you get to the point you're like, I just want it over with because mm-hmm. nothing like getting that letter from the government. You're like, you get that tenseness, but you made an interesting point about like things syncing up. And like, I, I mentioned this last night, actually on Twitter is Maryland has said, mm-hmm. you don't have to file your state return until right. what July now. July, or? I think, yeah, I think yeah. they got three months. Yeah. So is that going to cause more of a disconnect is the federal government can be forced to mirrors if more states go that way. Well, it is it is kind of interesting because that's what happened last year, too. Right, um, if right. you think back, you had states that were like, you know what, take extra time. And um, and then tax practitioners were like, hey, IRS, you're going to make an announcement. Um, and they're like, no, we're going to keep it. And Reddit kept saying over and over, like, we're not going to change it. And then and then we did. Didn't they so, do it like 30 um, days beforehand? It was something? really close. Yeah. And I do think that the pressure from states did have something to do with it. But I, I also think kind of to your point about calling your your congressional uh, <laughs> leaders when you have a problem, I think there were people, especially uh, tax preparer organizations that were looking at these deadlines and they're like, we can't make this work. We just can't. And uh, I, I, I sense a similar frustration this year. I just, again, don't know that we're going to get the extra time. I mean, what, so the, the, here's the frustrating part about that. Mm-hmm. So you can get an extension anyway, right? right. Like, oh yeah. Like, you know, that. People know that. Six, <laughs> six months we do too. Always falling on extension. So, um, you know, we, we run a business, so there's a lot going on. Right. Um, so you can get an extension if you file a timely request, um, right. by tax day. And it's very frustrating to hear people tax practitioners included, that will say things like, why are people complaining? Why not just filing extension? Um, and the reason that's frustrating is two reasons, actually. One, there are a lot of people who are terrified of extensions. I mean, I'm a big fan. Oh, yeah. I'd rather, I, I be, just... <laughs> I'd rather it be right and filed on an extension right. than be sloppy and be wrong and audited. So mm-hmm. I love extensions. But that being said, we have created, for better or worse, a tax system that is very subject to routine. People are very used to it opens in January. It closes the season, opens in January, it closes in April. And if if things are really bad, you could extend till October, right? So taxpayers are kind of programmed that that's the way the system works. Tax practitioners key their hiring off of that idea, right? So your busy season maybe starts January 15 and then you're done April 16, right? So there's a there's a, a a rhythm to all of this that just saying that disrupts not because you can't do it but because of the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. It would be different if you said 100% we're not going to move the date this year. We're telling you that up front. It's January. We're 100% not changing it. 
And then tax practitioners could have those conversations with their clients and say, I don't think we're going to get to your return this year. Or, you know what, you have a lot of crypto transactions. This just isn't going to work uh, in time. Or I know that you've got to pull your records to figure out where that direct deposit money went for child tax credit. So why don't we put you on extension? And here's why we're going to do it. And don't worry, it's not an audit trigger, right? You can have those discussions with clients if you knew with certainty that there was going to be no extension. The problem is that we've had these last minute extensions twice now. So you're creating an expectation that that could happen. Mm -hmm. So practitioners are but you don't want to promise that, right? You don't want to say like, let's just wait and see what happens because they still have to plan. Taxpayers still have to plan. So what IRS is doing when they are choosing not to make decisions early on in the tax season is they are throwing off the the normal cycle of tax season for practitioners and for taxpayers in a way that's very disruptive. And I don't know that they, I don't know if it they no, or I don't want to say they don't care because I don't think that's fair, but I don't think they understand how complicated and confusing that can be and how hard it can be for, again, for practitioners trying to plan for a season. Um, you know, you yeah. can't just kick the can down to April and say, oops, it turns out they <laughs> didn't extend. So we got to get this done in five days. Or you do the surprise extension for taxpayers and then taxpayers who are your clients are angry. So I just feel like they're creating a situation that is completely avoidable. And so that's where kind of going back to before when I said, you know, I'm happy to criticize IRS for a lot of things. And, and, and I am, um, you know, I do understand they're understaffed. I do understand they don't have enough resources. I, I understand those things happen. We're in the middle of a pandemic. There are a lot of things that you oh, can yeah. line up yeah. and say, these are things that are wrong, but there are also measures that they can take that are easy that can make taxpayers' lives easier, that can make tax practitioners' lives easier. And one of them is to say, here is the tax season. We know enough about what our staffing plans are, what the world looks like right now to make this with a certain amount of certainty to make this declaration. What if, um, what and their behavior the, hasn't shown that that's what they're willing to do. I, I was just, when you're saying that, I, one thing that jumps to mind is like, if you have a small business, you're automatically, it should be your filing date moves from April 15th to September 15th. Because mm -hmm. wouldn't that be like a huge win for everybody? There was a, there was a question actually um, that we put out uh, last year. I can't remember who started it on tax Twitter. And they asked about, would you want a permanent change? to certain kinds of returns. Yeah. It's very interesting because, you know, practitioners are kind of split on that. Like a lot of them just want to be done in April, yeah. like every oh, year. Yeah. But I do think that there are people, I think it depends on your client base because um, there are people who have said, absolutely, it should be automatic extensions. And I agree, like, again, going back to a business owner. So our law firm is an S corp um, and we have a CPA. I don't even do our taxes. Um, we have a CPA and it's still a matter of, we have to get that information. We have to get the information from my business, which is tax world, which is separate from the law firm. Uh, my husband has a job as well. Um, you know, there's stuff that you have to assemble and it's a lot, especially when I'm busy <laughs> during tax season. So, um, I think it makes a lot of sense for certain kinds of returns to kick out due dates. And I know that's a controversial statement. Cause again, <laughs> I think that when they took a vote, it was pretty much 50, 50, like down, like there was like, yeah, let's move it. And no, let's just get it done. Right. So yeah. I think 
It depends I'm, on who you are and who your clients are. I'm just thinking, though, from like as an advisor, like it's just better for the client because then they got that window to fund, you know, SEPs or, mm-hmm. you know, profit yep. sharing or think like so it promotes um, saving for their retirement and things like that. Yeah. I also think it promotes accurate returns because oh, one yeah. of the things, you know, IRS. <laughs> It's not been that long since they've changed the filing dates. You know, they've swapped them because there was the pass throughs and the corporations had the opposite. Um, They were trying to make, I think, some of that a little easier to alleviate some of these things that we're talking about right now. Um, I think that there are ways that they could continue to do that by by changing some of the due dates. Um, I don't think it's anything we're going to see anytime soon again. I think they've they've got some bigger fish to fry right now. (laughs) But yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's problematic and it's something that we're seeing every year. And again, it's these perfect storms, right? Like you mm-hmm. look at these things, and you're like every year S corps have a little bit of a problem trying to get their returns in on time. And then you add in all these other factors and you're like, you know what? Nope, not going to happen. So, you know, to add to the complexity, since we're already talking about that, you've now got people, the work from home economy is booming. Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I'm uh, working for a company in, let's say, Virginia, and I'm living in North Carolina full time, am I going to be expected to pay a Virginia income tax or how's that? That is, that is not a question that's easy to answer. And here's why. Um, so you'd think that we would have some uniformity. Um, on the way that this is going to be approached, but we don't. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is because every state has their own rules. Right. Some states have agreements with other states. So in Pennsylvania, we have agreements with Ohio, for example. I believe we have one with Virginia, since you mentioned Virginia. Wow. Um, to actually eliminate the the problem of double taxation, where it's not even double taxation, it's double reporting, right? So right. In, in a lot of states, what you'd have to do in that situation is you file in both states and you take a credit in one state for right. the tax that you pay. So you're creating another filing obligation. And so what some states have done to alleviate this problem is they're like, you know what, here are our rules for reciprocity. And for certain states, we're not going to require you to file um, so long as, you know, these criteria are met. Um, uh, so we're not going to make you file a, a separate return. Um, and I think that's really helpful. There are some states, however, that are not like that. Um, there are some states like New York that are very aggressive um, on their stance uh, in terms of revenue. And I understand that because during the pandemic in particular, New yeah. York saw a pretty big flight to places like Florida um, where people claimed that they were residents and then returned uh, to the state. So there was a lot of com- uh, complex returns out there because of exactly what you just said, like, you know, people might be living, they may be working in one state and, and being, um, they may be living in one state and working in another. And, and, you know, I, I did that for years because Forbes was out of New Jersey and I was in Pennsylvania and so, you know, it happened before now, but it's happening with um, at a much different pace than but, before. Yeah, it was more regionalized, right? Like mm-hmm. the commuter tax is what they yeah, used to call exactly. it, right? Like yeah. so New Jersey, New York would have that, Virginia, mm-hmm. Maryland, or, or I think Virginia, D.C. had it, Maryland. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like the, uh, the, commuter, ta- the commuter tax has got high tech. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think we're going to see a lot of discussion around that this year because, oh, yeah. um, you know, there have been a lot of legislative proposals to try to fix that. 
Um, there are some coalitions that have tried to do something kind of similar to what they've tried to do with sales tax, you know, make this mm-hmm. somewhat uniform. Um, at the same time, you're seeing legislation introduced um, in various states to try to at least alleviate some of the neighboring state issues. Right. Um, it'll be really interesting to see because I do. I read actually read a statistic this morning that they anticipate. I can't remember where it might have been the journal, but I don't don't hold me to the journal. But it was it was on um, on the news that I think they anticipate that thirty to forty percent of work from home will continue in some capacity after the pandemic. It's a pretty high number considering, especially if you consider like a lot of jobs, you can't work from home, right? If I'm, if I'm, uh, I have a friend who works uh, high end retail, she has to be at the store, right? Right. Those, those, her shoppers aren't shopping online. Um, And uh, you know, some food service, some actual like in-person services, you don't, most people aren't ordering Broadway online, right? They still want to go to the play. Um, so there's a lot of folks that I think their jobs are dictated by the kind of work that they do. And that's not changing, but where it can change, you know, we're definitely seeing a shift in that. And I think mm-hmm. that the legislation is going to have to respond to that in some way. Like, I don't know how much of a change I actually spoke about this at the AICPA convention this year. And um, I was uh, speaking with, um, uh, folks who were, you know, involved in these movements to mm-hmm. get some of this legislation changed. And, you know, it's not new. I mean, they've been pushing for it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one piece of legislation that we were talking about was actually introduced 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago. Um, still not through, right? Because every, every state wants their own Nobody yeah, wants want- to give it up, right? Like, right. like if if everybody could move to Texas to avoid income tax, then maybe they would, and then you know North Carolina loses out. So I, I don't know, you know, what the direction of that's going to be, but it is really complicated, I think. And I think um, kind of akin to that, since you mentioned work from home, is this idea like you and I are both working from home today, and right. we were talking about before about how we have done this for a long time. If you're a Schedule C person, if you, you know, if you're a self-employed person, um, you know, the cost of all of the the new desk I just bought that goes up and down, um, uh, you know, my standing desk, you know, that becomes deductible. If you're an employee that is working from home, it's not deductible. You know, that changed under the TCJA and uh, a lot of people ignored it when it when it went through in 2017 because it didn't apply to them. Um, mm-hmm. in a, in a pandemic world, it now applies to them and now they're really unhappy. So there are still people who believe that there's a COVID exception, um, to the rule. And well, no attorneys, even I've seen repeat this, that there's a oh, COVID wow. exception because it's quote for the benefit of the employer. They're actually conflating the rules. Um, and they assume that if your employer tells you, you have to work from home, it's still deductible and it's not. Um, so I anticipate that confusion to also continue, even though it's not a new rule. Um, but I expect that to be confusing for people this year as well. So like that being said, you know, what do you think the biggest mistakes you're seeing people make on their taxes now are? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I think so. I get every year I say this and every year somebody sends me an email about why I'm wrong. But I want to say it again. And anyway, I think people under deduct. Um, it's funny. We talk a lot about, you know, evasion and avoidance and things. I think so many taxpayers are scared of what, um, of audit that they 
under deduct a lot. I see this a lot with small businesses, like for every story that somebody can tell me about somebody. And I've been there. I've had clients that looked at me in the face and tell me how they've gone on a cruise and wrote it off as a business deduction. Like I didn't prepare those returns, <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but you know, for everybody who's done that, I can also tell you five people who didn't deduct a cell phone bill or you know, internet or a dining expense because they were scared that it would flag, right? I have a lot of people I know don't claim the home office deduction when they can because they're scared of that being a flag. So I think that is a huge um, issue. I think that, that, that taxpayers, you know, don't be piggy, right? But like claim what, deduct what you're entitled to. Don't be frightened to not. Uh, claim the the deductions and credits you're entitled to. Um, I think another thing, and this is something that I'm guilty of, I think a lot of small business owners in particular are not planning in advance. I do this for a living and I don't plan always for advance. I, you know, I think we're so busy, especially during the pandemic, because this working parents, for example, uh, you know, I've had to learn how to be a tech guru. I've had to relearn calculus so that I could <laughs> explain it to my children. Um, I had um, a daughter who was taking AP German. I don't speak a word of German. And, you know, uh, actually, I'm, my wife could help you out there. She, oh, that would have been awesome. Little, she speaks um, a little. Well, my husband does, but he was, he was uh, busy, okay. right? So, so <laughs> there's, you know, we've all had to to adapt and we got really busy. And so during the year, there are things that you could do. And I found myself, I, I, I made an IRA error this year, not like a tax IRA error. It's not anything that's going to cost me other than I don't get the deduction because I wasn't smart. I wrote a check to fund an IRA when it was not going to be deductible um, because I didn't ask until after, right? Because I'm mm-hmm. like, you know what? going to meet that deadline. And I did it. And my, my CPA is like, okay, we got to make sure we record the basis. I'm like, what now? And uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think that, I think that happens a lot that we're rushing around as taxpayers and you're not thinking about if I, if I put this money in, in an IRA, I can actually, you know, save that money instead of giving it to the government, right? And and it brings out my taxes and all of those kinds of things. Maybe next year I should fund my HSA more. I was going to say Maybe. the HSA, I feel yeah. like is the most under. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, was, I had a great podcast episode with Megan uh, Gorman and she yeah. talked about yeah, I saw using it, yeah. it as, yeah, for retirement. It was brilliant. And it, you know, but those kinds of solutions, they're not hard. They're just sometimes not at your fingertips. And so you wait until it's too long. Like that, those are tips. Like if you're going to fund the HSA, if you're, if you're looking at two things, should I do an FSA or HSA? And I understand some of that's determined for you depending on right. your circumstances, but wouldn't you have choices? You know, you, you're scrambling to make them the same thing with retirement. I mean, even at work, um, I got a notification ironically the other day that somebody apparently had tried to access my account. And so I had to change my password and I'm like, Ooh, why I'm here. <laughs> I should change my contribution amount, you know, cause it's just, it's not something that I review on a regular basis and I should. And again, mea culpa, like I completely get that. I tell other people to do it and I'm not doing it, but I understand why other people don't, you know, oh, yeah, absolutely. and you have families and you have jobs and taxes are often the last thing on your mind. So I think that, you know, in terms of mistakes, I think deduct more, plan more, Um, and every year I have people who say, you know, here's what I'm going to do this year. I'm going to meet with my planner. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then they just push it down 
the lane because it just seems easier and they'll get to it later and then it's too late. And then they promise they'll do it again next year. Um, and I think that's a mistake. I think a lot of times, like when you look at, you know, people get angry about the fact that high net worth people sometimes pay lower tax rates. You know, it seems unfair. Um, you know, some of that may be unfair. I'm not saying it's not, but some of it's because they're taking the time to do the planning, right? Yep. And, uh, and, and we don't always do that and we should. Well, it's an interesting. Uh, Scott Dyring was uh, one of our guests uh, last season, and we talked about corporate tax. And he did a, a great job breaking down, you know, the the difference between corporate financials and corporate taxation. And as I always say, don't hate the player, hate the game. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, absolutely. Uh, Completely uh, agree with you. You have time for one more? Oh, absolutely. Oh, awesome. You know, I could talk about tax all day. <laughs> I know. And that's why you're a great follow at Tax Girl, right? Oh, thank uh, you. Always great information and one of my go-to resources. What do you think may come down the, the line for 2022? Any changes we may see in legislation or that's going to really throw the curveball for everybody? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so immediately, you know, what people are talking about that's new for 2022 is 1099K, right? So that's changed. Um, 1099K is a form that uh, was introduced as part of, I think it was the HERO Act. Um, oh. And it's been around for about a decade. Uh-huh. Um, and it was introduced when online transactions were being ramped up, right? Okay. So people were paying more with credit cards. And so IRS um, was tasked by Congress uh, with uh, coming up with a new form and it was 1099K. And it was meant for people to pay, to report, sorry, it was meant for people to, um, well, voluntary compliance. I again have my air quotes, voluntary <laughs> compliance. It's okay. I'm it from was, New Jersey. We're yeah. used to talking with hands, you know, it's like, it's it, normal. Exactly. It was to remind taxpayers to report income that was generated that was maybe reported on um, a credit card statement or a third party network uh, like PayPal for business services, goods and services um, that maybe wasn't reported on like a 1099 MISC. Right. So Mm -hmm. that was the idea behind it. And it it kind of created a reporting hole because the threshold for the 1099K was $20,000 or 200 uh, and 20. Sorry, $20,000 and 200 transactions, right? So that was a huge, huge threshold. Um, The 1099 MISC, as you know, was still at 600. So there was this kind of hole because what if you are, um, what if you get paid by PayPal? So they're not issuing you a 1099 MISC, but you don't make enough to be reported under this $20,000 threshold. So maybe you don't get a form. And if you don't get a form, there are people who won't report anyway, right? They weren't going to report anyway because they're trying to hide it. But then there's also people that honestly just need a reminder. Like, I forgot I had that account, right? Right. So so the 1099K, what they've done for the 2022, beginning January 1st of this year, they've changed the threshold so that it is now 600 as well. So this is throwing folks into a tizzy um, because like, what if you get money on Venmo? Now it's going to be reported. And so most of the platforms have taken the position that they're only going to report business accounts. Um, Some platforms don't have two different kinds of accounts. Uh, So then how do they reconcile? Like, what are we going to report? Some sellers or platforms like Etsy or Amazon 
if you're getting money for services on this platform, chances are you're already a seller. That's a business transaction for most people. Right. Um, so most of those kinds of platforms are just going to issue those um, anyway. So were they was of- Etsy or like oh, let's let's use Etsy because that's the first one that popped my mm-hmm. head. Was Etsy issuing those beforehand, the tax document to people, or were they just? Yeah, getting- but at the top, but at the bigger thresholds. Okay, okay. I mean, so now they've gone again from twenty thousand to six hundred. It's just a <laughs> whole different, like a lot of lot more people, right? Yeah. Because if you make five thousand dollars selling your baseball cards on Etsy, um, you know, before you weren't getting reported, now you are. Um, so Interesting. that's that's the difference, right? So there's going to be a lot of those forms um, that we'll see in 2023 for the 2022 tax year. Um, that I think that's going to cause a, it's already causing a lot of chatter, right? Like people yeah, are already seen. unhappy about it. Um, I read an article about it, and the you know the platforms immediately reached out to me to make sure I have their quotes um, because <laughs> they want to make sure that they're being represented properly. Um, again, it's it's intended to apply to goods and services, but you know, the, the hobbyists can get ramped, you know, roped into that. Um, and maybe, maybe legitimately so too. Right. So I think there's going to be, it's going to cause some confusion. So that's one that I think is definitely going to be something that we are going to see more of. Um, you're mm-hmm. also going to see those platforms asking you more questions. I really think that is going to be a trend. Um, there's already like TikTokers who are trying to tell you how to convert your business account back to a personal one to avoid the reporting. Um, you know, that can get you kicked off the platform. So, um, that, you know, I think there, that's going to be that compliance issue is going to be huge for 2022. Okay. Um, similarly, crypto, uh, transactions, you know, already an issue. Um, but they are also increasing reporting requirements for those. That's already controversial because of some of the definitions that are in the, the language. Those don't kick in, um, this year. They actually kick in. Uh, next year, I think. Um, but again, I think that it's the kind of thing where you're going to see more and more platforms coming and asking you questions so okay. that they can start training you to the idea that there's going to be compliance. Like, make sure we have your tax ID number, make sure we have, um, you know, your address, that kind of thing. So definitely uh, people need to be aware if they're trading in crypto that there are reporting requirements um, on on the taxpayer side. And now there will be as well um, on some of the... It's not uh, the Wild West side. anymore. Yeah, no. Um, it's <laughs> the, Well, the, the IRS has made no secret about the fact that they're, they're gunning for crypto. Like even before the boom, they were looking at the numbers. And I can't recall... The exact figures, but I, I had written an article about it one time where they matched up just e-filed returns, not mm-hmm. paper, but just e-filed returns matched up um, the number of uh, schedules, the like capital gain schedules related to that actually reference crypto. And it was only a few hundred <laughs> for the year. I mean, this is like, it was still 2017, 18, 19. Like these are not, this is not 20 years ago. This is a few years ago. Um, these the the numbers were very very low compared to the volume that was being traded just in the right, U.S. alone. Right. So they've made crypto compliance um, a huge target. So I think we're going to see a lot more of uh, taxpayers kind of trying to sort that out, right? Mm-hmm. So um, crypto, I think, is going to be big. Ten ninety nine k is big. I think a lot of like just online stuff generally um, is something that we're going to see more of. Um, as to the other things that, you know, that, that folks were talking about in Congress, you know, I don't, I don't know that we're going to see a lot of progress right now. I think that, you know, the, oh, of the child tax credit, I don't know that, the, you know, it's pretty, the, 
there are there are senators who have signaled that that's dead already. Like there's not I mean, we know it didn't get passed in December, but there are some folks who have signaled that that is a non-starter moving forward. Um, salt tax repeal. There's been some discussion about, you know, the cap uh, yeah. $10,000. You know, should that be should we repeal that so that it goes back to the way it was before? Should we just change the cap? Um, you know, that discussion has been ongoing for a while now. We haven't seen any progress um, I, on, the, on the corporate side. I think the biggest news is going to be the, you know, the OECD global min, minimum tax um, rate, the 15 percent that they're going to be moving towards because the compliance target date for that is in 2023 um, in the U.S. That's going to impact a lot of really large companies. So that's mm-hmm. something that they're going to be talking about in Congress. You know, uh, we'd have to make that change just because we agreed to it, just because we agreed to agree. Um, that's George Solis <laughs> would say, uh, just because we agreed to agree doesn't mean we'll do it. Um, so that, I think that's going to be an interesting conversation that we're going to see in Congress. Like, are we actually going to, you know, embrace that 15%? So I, I think that there'll be a lot of chatter in the tax world this year on in terms of legislation. I don't know how much movement there's going to be. I think um, we have a really dysfunctional Congress right now. Right. So, so, and there's a lot on their plate. Um, And it's an election year though. That's the mm -hmm. only, if I were to have to go to like a draft Kings and put odds on something, I'd probably the something that puts money in the pockets is going to be pushed hard. I don't know if it's going to succeed. Oh, yeah, because everybody wants to. Yeah, everybody wants the the headline, right, that they tried. Um, But I don't know. I don't know where that ends up. Um, And, you know, I I think the other thing just to be aware of generally, that's kind of going back to the online thing, digital taxes. um, You know, there's been a lot of litigation about this. So it's Hmm. interesting to see. You know, there was a big case uh, involving Netflix recently um, in the Midwest. Uh, You know, states want revenue. They see streaming services and other digital services as a way to get it. Uh, Some of the taxes are really confusing, I think, for taxpayers um, and for for the companies that are actually going to absorb the tax and probably pass it along to the taxpayers. So it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, does Netflix get more expensive? Uh, Does Apple TV become more expensive? Um, that those kinds of uh I have my YouTube TV. Yeah, I don't want it to get more. You know, I mean, the, so the funny <laughs> thing about all of those is that when you read about this, right, you're like, oh, I don't care if Netflix has to pay more in tax, right? But you do when all of a sudden it's not fourteen ninety nine a month anymore; it's seventeen ninety nine a month, and now yeah. you're like, I don't know, do I need this and Hulu? Like, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I think that's where that's how taxpayers are going to be affected, like like your individual taxpayers. Is, I think that's how they're going to be affected. But, but you made an interesting point with that with the platforms like Etsy and things like that with the 1099k is like the first thing that pops to my mind as a planner is like this just opened up a whole new avenue for you to utilize other programs for saving well i mean the interesting thing about that the the etsys and the amazon and the 1099k yeah. is that that stuff's supposed to be be reported anyway, right? So this isn't right, a right. new tax; it's just new reporting. I think the the bigger issue with that is, um, I, I would be interested to see, and I know there's some discussions about this. I had one yesterday with somebody who I, I can't mention who it is yet, but who's looking into, you know, how do you use AI um, in the banking world? How do you use AI to um, to marry tax and, and, and economics and finance. Um, so I think that's the kind of thing that'll be interesting, right. To see 
is there a way that we can make this easier for our taxpayers so they don't have to do columns and be like, well, that was the money that my mom vended me to buy my dad's birthday present versus this but is the blockchain, I, right? Like the blockchain yeah. is what solves those. Well, depends on who you are and what you think. But yeah, the <laughs> blockchain has the potential to make a lot of uh, a lot of difference in the way that taxpayers receive information and mm-hmm. record information. So I do think that there's potential with the blockchain. I don't want to, I don't want to be like snarky about it, but I think it's funny because, um, and you know, from, from me being on Twitter, but often when people say there's a tax problem, there's always somebody saying, well, you know what the answer is, it's the blockchain. No, I say this Kelly, because oh, I know, I know you I, no, no, I'm just saying way. like my background is, you know, I dealt with, when I was in the military, I dealt with cryptography, so I have that background. But also, our, we have friends here in the area who work on very sophisticated AI systems, and that's who I got my education from. Mm-hmm. I said one time, explain blockchain to me, and he had the simplest terms, and he was like, you slap a tracking number, like UPS tracking number, and it just stays with it for life. And so, like you're saying, like that's a perfect example of, but hey, if I want to pay that money for my mom is following me through the system for a present for my father or whatever. Okay. That makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. I see, I see there are practical applications too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, And you know, I was, I was really lucky when I was at Forbes because I worked with Laura Shin who um, she has a couple of podcasts right now. One of them's unchained, but she's uh, also writing a book on blockchain. Like she was one of the first like mainstream reporters to really start Mm -hmm. focusing on it. Um, And I learned a lot from, from what she was writing. So, you know, this is something I've also followed uh, for quite a bit. Um, And, you know, when I'm, I dabble, (laughs) I'm a dabbler. Um, So uh, I, I think there's a lot of potential. Um, I don't know that is the kind of thing that the IRS is ready for us. We were talking about before, like kind <laughs> right, of circling right. back to this whole notion of being under-resourced. Um, you know, I don't know that they are in a position to, um, gosh, to use that as a compliance tool. Um, I think it has potential oh, no. on that it's side as well. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a, it's, got possibilities and, yeah there you go you know but that's yes. optimistic that's <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. you know i mean I, th- I think there's a lot i know exactly that's the running joke on right on twitter is that on social media period is that blockchain or fixes everything and mm-hmm. yeah i mean um but i do see the practical application that it could um be helpful i'm just thinking like hey that person who's now getting that money though as a as a 1099 um like that maybe wasn't or is freaking out there's the opportunity they might be able to use like some of these other retirement plans that they're not using hey like right there that could be helpful in their grand planning right just like the 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 kids getting the name image and likeness stuff now like there's that whole opportunity for them too so right. it's 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 a fascinating world the tax world it is we'll have, to, we'll have to talk about this in a year and see if any of this came true yeah that would be uh you know like like uh what is it called those uh, those anniversary specials where oh yeah right, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do balloons in the background and yeah. thing. We find out yeah. we're wrong on everything, and that's oh, why that's people... I, that's I've had that happen quite a bit. Yeah, you know, well, that's, that's like the fun I, part. I was gonna say that's every investment prediction letter that goes out mm-hmm. every year. 
you know? So I think that's the thing. Kelly, yeah. where can people continue to follow your awesome insights? Oh, thank you. Um, so social, I'm on social media at Tax Girl. Um, I love Twitter, so I'm on Twitter. But you can also find me on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Insta as well, but not as tax oriented. And uh, <laughs> if you have interest in my podcast, which is Tax Girl Podcast, um, you can find it at taxgirl.com. Awesome. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I had a great time. Thanks for joining us today. To continue the conversation, visit us at our blog, financial-recon.com. Appearances do not constitute endorsement of flagship wealth management group, LPL Financial, the Pinnacle Financial Group, or any other entity discussed in this program. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member, FINRA, SIPC. Investment advice offered through the Pinnacle Financial Group registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial. The opinions voiced are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor.